What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Trade with Logic podcast, where you'll learn professional market insights to make you a successful forex trader. Your host for today will be Matty and Marcus from Logic FX, and in today's podcast, we'll be continuing the same theme from the previous episode by expanding on what goes on in the professional industry. More specifically, how much retail traders can expect to earn from forex trading. Just before we begin, make sure you listen to our previous podcast on false forex expectations as it highlights some of the key points we'll be discussing today. In summary, we concluded that the retail traders are looking in the wrong places when trading the forex markets. One point we didn't fully clarify was the 90-90-90 phenomenon, which is 90% of forex traders lose 90% of their capital in 90 days. Why does this exist? Because they refuse to look at the actual professional industry and what they're doing. This is the hedge funds and more specifically the hedge fund managers. Anyway, let's get started. How you been, Marcus? Hey, May. Uh, not too bad, thanks. What about yourself? How you been keeping? Yeah, I've been good. I've been good. I think just before we continue, I think it'd be good to tell the listeners why hedge funds are actually called a hedge fund. So if you could clarify on that. Yeah, so I think... Um, last time from the previous podcast um a lot of people were messaging with the idea like okay what do these guys in the hedge funds actually do and matt is right in asking so why is a hedge fund called a hedge fund and it's literally because they use strategies that hedge out risk so they do that by having a diverse long and short portfolio basically means they can make the money when the markets go up or down and the hedge fund itself is just an investment vehicle for high net worth individuals and institutions to dump their money in. So what you have then with a hedge fund is the onshore management company. And then you have another entity, which is the offshore holding company and which holds the investors money. And then the management company that charges one to 2% management fee, typically one to 2% um, on the assets under management. So the assets under management are literally just, the money that the investors have put in and then an annual performance fee on top of that so any profits that they make for their clients um, through their positive selection portfolio they charge a performance fee on that and what you find is quite interesting about hedge funds is that when they do go to pitch to these high net worth individuals or these institutions like companies whatever the investors stipulate to that hedge fund that at least half of that performance fee i just mentioned reinvest into the fund so no hedge fund takes their performance fee then just runs off with people's money. So they have to reinvest at least half of it. And mm. that's literally why hedge funds call a hedge fund money. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Very interesting. Um, yeah. I think it'd be good to give our listeners a deeper insight then of the structure of a hedge fund, you know, how it all works. Okay. So let's, the best way to probably do this is start with an example. So let's say there exists a fund called I don't know, Logic Effects Wealth. And it has 100 million pounds of investors' money. And that would be the assets under management, which I mentioned earlier, or AUM, if you're listening like that. Um, and they would typically hold um, 50 um, total positions. So that's 25 long and 25 short in their portfolio. Now, they would have a self imposed position limit of 2% of AUM, which basically means. Each position that they enter, they can't exceed over two million. So if you've got a hundred million pound assets under management, you can't exceed two million pound per per position um, in terms of risk and exposure to the market. And and essentially, 
this will be classified what i've just explained here as a very diverse hedge fund and they're not taking on a great deal of risk now let's say um last year that this fund logic wealth it made a 20 percent return so that would be 20 million pound on a portfolio and they had a 14 percent annualized volatility so this essentially is a great hedge fund and they also charge the investors a two percent management fee based on the AUM at the beginning of the year and a 20% performance fee. In short, what all that means is their onshore management company takes £2 million of management fees and £4 million of performance fees in that situation. Then half of that performance fee is then reinvested to the fund. Now, Logic Wealth doesn't get paid a performance fee if they lose money, obviously, right? And they just get their management fee. So what does that management fee actually do, right? That is the onshore management fee. It goes to pay for all the infrastructure of the fund. Basically includes the salaries of anyone who's working there, everybody in the office, the offices themselves. All the professional traders have a basic salary. Um, they get their performance fee um, only if they make a profit. And when they do, half that is reinvested into the fund anyway so that the fund actually grows. So what do retail traders have to do to emulate the successful hydrogen managers? It's basically from that is reinvest their own money, right? So when when they make money, they take on more risk. And when they lose, don't increase the exposure. So it sounds obvious, but majority of retail traders actually do the complete opposite. Don't know why. And it's typical behavior of a retail trader to do this. And it's to take money out of their trading account. Like literally the holy grail for a hedge fund manager is to grow the fund from, let's say, I don't know, like 100 million in the first year. And in year six, grow that to something like... Mm, five billion or something and that's the then they use the standard industry metric is applied to that fund to sell it off and that's basically the value of the fund they have is five billion worth of assets under management and that standard industry metric would be one tenth of that and then in this scenario that would be 500 million so one tenth of that five billion so if we started the fund me and you may logic wealth with 100 million we do what we're supposed to do as a good hedge fund turn that into the the five billion and then we're like, cool, we've done our job. Let's sell it off now to a buyer uh, for 500 million. We've just made 400 million profit within whatever time it took to do that. So all that money that we invested that whole time, it, it rewards us to a, like a five times reward, essentially. So that would be a successful hedge fund manager, in a sense. Um, and that's the okay. easiest way I could break down the structure of a hedge fund, to be honest, mate. It's a bit long-winded, but yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, it. That's quite a long explanation, but I think it gets a lot of messages out there. Like, what do you think are the key messages that retail traders could take away from it? In a quick summary, do you think? Um, quick summary of what I've said. So, pivotal messages to take here for anybody who's listening. If you're a retail trader, your objective is obviously to make money. Um, uh, like, which is obvious, right? No one goes into the market to lose money. Um, we all go in with the idea that we become like superstars, make shit ton of money. Um, and you know, the objective here is to make money using our money. So there's several important messages that I'd probably take away from this. Uh, the first one being hedge fund managers, they use their own money to trade and accept outside investors money. Um, traders at investment banks um, do not trade utilizing their own capital. They spend uh, 8 to 90% of the time um, managing commission revenue from market making and trading out positions they don't want. So both the hedge fund manager and the traders of an investment bank on the prop side, the other 10% of what investment bank does, they hold 
diverse long and short portfolios over long time horizons depending on the funds goal. Now, regardless of performance, these guys get paid a basic salary. The hedge fund managers pay themselves and their employees basic salary from that annual management fee that I just mentioned. And now that management fee of a hedge fund is designed to pay for all of the infrastructure, all of the infrastructure, so all the running costs um, on the fund from an annual basis. And another important thing to note is that the hedge fund managers themselves invest their own money into the fund. So when they're making money, they don't actually invest in their own fund. Um, when they're making money, they keep putting money in, sorry. And when they're losing money, they don't actually put any more in. And this is because if their fund loses, there'll be no performance fee to reinvest. And mm. that's the easiest, probably shortest summary I can give or key messages for any of the listeners there. Yeah, I think those key points are great, especially how the professionals will take on less risk when things are going bad and take on more risk when things are going good. That's a one key point that retail traders can take away from that. You know, yeah. you're not going to risk more to earn more back because that's just that's a losing right. game. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and for some reason, it sounds like a simple concept when we say it, but once you get like bogged down into trading or you're exposed to it the first time, it's one of those things that you can't really, you don't consciously are aware of in a sense. You don't think, oh, I'm losing, I should take money out. You're more focused on your strategy at the time, what strategy works best, etc. It's a rookie mistake, really, when that simple concept, in fact, will probably put you ahead of the curve it's by itself, you know don't put money in when you're losing and when you're winning keep loading up your account you know reinvesting yourself that's it that's it and then let's go to the point where how a retail trader is going to mimic a hedge fund trader to the best degree like how are they going to do it to that professional level and stay away from the 90 percent of people that lose well the first thing that we'll probably do then is what we touched upon in the previous podcast slightly is we need to compare the, the differences between these hedge fund manager professional traders or the professional traders in the prop side investment banking and the retail trader we must compare them um and you know find the objective of the retail trader and find the objective of the uh, hedge fund manager being the same thing how is there a difference you know what's the contrast so it's logical for us to do that comparison before we go anywhere so the problem is Due to the misinformation, conflicts of interest that exist in the financial industry globally, vast majority of retail traders simply do not know the strategies that the professional traders are doing. So the retail traders must have a basic salary when they do something. Otherwise, mm. you're just not going to grow your account. You'll be forced to take an income from a trading account, which will be terminal, and you'll eventually go bust, or slowly eventually, mm. what we already covered. And the principle of taking more risk when making money and taking less risk when losing money is another key contrast. So from the ground up, it sounds pretty basic, um, but millions of people are getting it wrong every year and it repeats, rinse, repeat, um, same approach, hit zero, put 10 grand back in, lose it, restart, no one ever learns. And they still believe the narrative that I've already discussed in episode one, right? Um, and then you will just get a ton of people in the industry, um, conflict of interest, driving them convincing them professional traders trade in x y and z way and when they actually don't and the person telling you that probably has a never been a professional trader so how would they know anyway because that's what you're learning from so little comparison that we already should have a good understanding of but i'll go over it now just so that 
it's embedded in all our listeners' mind. A professional trader has a long and short positive selection portfolio using quantitative strategies that last 1 to 18 months with the most being 3. And they have a large diversity of assets, 10 to 50, with strict risk management, the long-term consistent returns, with the idea of capital preservation and growth, with the desire to either sell the fund later to a buyer and have larger bonuses, right? Now, the retail trader, short-term day trading, binary, manual analysis, uses signals, believes anything they read on the internet usually, usually take multiple trades a day, they don't take any overnight risk, so all their risk is concentrated on probably like one to three trades in the day um, and close before the day, you know, is over. It could be binary based off simple technical analysis or economic release, you know, hmm. on a calendar, they'll, they'll look for NFP and be like, oh, NFP is coming out. What trade shall I take? You know, this sort of binary, if the number turns out good, let's do this. If the number turns out bad, let's do this based off one variable of the economy to trade a currency that's representative of thousands of variables about the economy um the economy it's kind of ludicrous but that's what they do right that binary approach and what you find is the outcome is capital gets exhausted assets go to zero rinse and repeat so yeah that is a little contrast and then the approach of the hedge fund is that longer term sort of you know approach whereas the retail traders shorter term and that's the sort of i don't know important for retail traders to understand because if they want to mimic the professional trader they need to start doing what he's doing and not doing the opposite of what they're currently doing do you know what i mean there would be like long euro usd short smp something like that and the professional trader would never do that they have a lot more diversity they wouldn't just have like one or two positions over a very small sample do you know what i mean mm. so these professional traders are thinking that long-term consistent returns and because we know their objective is they have assets under management no one's going to invest in the fund um or trader if they're up 10 percent one month they're down 10 percent the next month they just never make money consistently do you know what i mean so consistent returns that are smoothed over a long time that show a strong track record and behavior in good times and bad times within the portfolio you do the right things so, for example, in good times, you increase your risk, you make money, and when you're losing, you reduce your risk. Like All these things are just the same thing, but they just need to be reiterated to people. Do you know what I mean? You know, mm. If you show those numbers of smooth returns, you get a much easier job when you're pitching to someone uh, for 100 million to invest in your hedge fund. And if you're a retail trader, your objective should be the same, right? If you're, You should be looking to convince yourself. You're pitching to yourself, should I put more money in? And that's the only way you could prove to yourself that you should put more money in if you're getting those returns, you know? Not the polar opposite, good month up, bad month down. Um, what's the outcome? Professional trader has capital pres preservation or growth, but what I've just explained there, the retail trader doesn't. Do you know what I mean? So that's the easiest way I could put it that they can mimic a sort that's of a um, comparison. Hedge fund trader, uh, hedge fund trader. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of goes on to like that binary trading type. Ooh, NFP's coming out. I'm just gonna whack on this one to twenty lot size position and just yeah. everything, and then that's where the whole concept goes of busting accounts, right? Yeah, People it's literally are, they're just yeah. over risking on ridiculously volatile events which don't have a significant impact over long term capital game. Concentrated risk, right? 
They're, they're thinking exactly. like that's what professionals do. They think they're a fundamental trader when they look at the economic calendar and look what's coming out in the next yes. few hours. I which is a that. I hate that when people say they're a fundamental trader when all they do is trade the NFP like a monkey, and it doesn't make sense, right? Like it's not trading fundamentally when you're not looking fundamentally at everything that's happened in the economy. Looking at a result from a upcoming volatile release is not going to favor you in any sort of way because it's very short term and it's virtually a coin toss, you know, yes. when those things come out. So it's like the worst time to enter and exit positions because it's so volatile and your liquidity provider from your brokerage could easily increase spread. I've seen spread go up to like, you know, 25 pips during these times so that people trading it can't actually make money because the spread's so high. Do you know what I mean? So the industry has built it to say, hey, you, don't do this. But some people still just want to ignore the glaring things that are telling them not to do it and just do it anyway because they see the chart move really quickly and I think it's quick money. It doesn't work like that. I'm sorry. But that's it. It's very true. It's very true. Um, yeah. A lot of like a lot of these retail traders as well, they're not looking at the professional industry to get their expectations of the markets. They're looking at, you know, apps and software such as MyFXBook. And this is a platform where anyone can, literally anyone can upload their own results, let's say in quotations. Oh, and okay. It's just this type of view of, oh, I should be looking at MyFXBook, not the hedge fund industry. This is a, probably another reason where all these retail traders are getting a skewed expect a skewed perception of the expectations you know yeah i agree there to be honest you look my fx book is a hunting ground if you've been on my fx book anybody listen to this it's a hunting ground for brokerages there's ads everywhere this website is endorsed by brokerages you'll see literally broker ads all around it so that's your first red flag when using something like this and then you have to question, what is the purpose of a website like MyFXBook? Why do you want to show your portfolio to people? Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. you might say to me as a listener, hey, I want you to prove if you're a good trader, show me your MyFXBook. But it can be manipulated. So what? anybody who's in the professional industry, they don't have time to be monkeying around on MyFXBook. And secondly, the things that count if you're a good trader are your drawdown sharp ratios or tweener ratio and like performance metrics you don't need anything else you don't need to look at the exact trades they're taking or anything like that your performance metrics literally tell you everything and the thing with my effects book is it can be heavily manipulated to give these outcomes that look ludicrous like i've seen things on there like people making thousand percents <laughs> within like a month and convincing people that it's legit when definitely you know you can just change the time frame on what you show Literally, there's a filter on there. So when people are looking at it, you can just hide all your bad trades or the bad time periods and just highlight that one month that was really good and it, or that period of time that looked really good. Do you know what I mean? So then it begs the question, how could you even use this as a resource to validate any sort of decision? It doesn't make sense. And then the actual idea of validation doesn't make sense either because if you're a trader and you want to show off your performance, the only reason you should do that is if you want investment, Right. The idea is, if you're a good trader, you want to show other people your performance so they can invest in you. Otherwise, there's no actual point, right? Mm. And if the hedge fund industry, they would be using MyFXBook if it was a reputable place, but they don't. 
they show their performance through performance metrics because that's all that counts none of this my fx book bullshit i guarantee if you go into my fx book and you look at everyone's portfolio their sharp ratios will be completely trash like a sharp ratio of two to three is what a hedge fund gets if you look at the sharp ratio of those any account there it's going to be like 0.00001 it's, it's ridiculous and if anyone you don't understand what a sharp ratio is it basically tells you uh, your risk reward and how much you make on losing to how much you make on winning positions just a formula that shows that briefly there are some flaws with it but it's a common metric that's used mm. to decide if you invest in someone or not but yeah you got any points to add why my fx book is absolutely terrible mate i think you covered some most of the major ones that i was going to say actually so the fact that they okay. can skew the results through filtering dates so let's say last month in march you had a really good month but in april this month you've had a terrible month but you want to yeah. show off or you want to try sell some sort of education or signal service you're just going to filter out last month be like oh look at this and to people that don't have an understanding of the different ratios the different outlook and the long-term perspective of the trading itself they're going to think oh damn this guy's amazing i'm, I'm going to buy his signals i'm going to buy his education when actually you're being scammed pretty much <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's true that's how i can put it yeah and the other thing is um just to note is because i actually tested this on my fx book at a point you can skew the success rate ridiculously high by just closing your orders in multiple transactions so if you see someone who's got a 90 percent success rate on my fx book literally all this guy has done is open a position and then close it 10 times and then like in multiple so if you open a 10,000 position and you close it 1,000 pound at a time yeah you've technically on my fx books metrics the way it records it have uh, closed 10 positions right when really it's just what the one idea then afterwards if you lose a trade your success rate now is like 10 wins and one loss it's ridiculous when really it's one win one loss if if you're just taking on a trade by trade perspective so if you're looking at the performance metrics on my fx book at the success rate hugely misleading it's kind of it gets to the point like we've already concluded you can't use it and then you know the fact people doing crazy returns on dodgy brokers connecting it to them and then manipulating the data from the broker side because they have ties with the broker owners there's so many ways that it just makes it useless showing anything on there and the purpose behind it is it doesn't make sense do you know what i mean for sure for sure yeah so that's literally the best outlook on sort of my fx book i can give really mm. <laughs> i think a lot, of, I can add. a lot of these unrealistic goals that are set from my books also lead to a lot of the retail trader ruin you know that 90 percent where some of these factors i'm just going to co cover some key points in what make traders fail which is over trading you know that day trader one to three positions a day type outlook risking yes. more that binary trading and another one is which is not as spoken as much is falling for cognitive biases and errors you know when you when you've set yourself 15 mm. percent a month targets you're going to start looking at every single position out there and trying to find as many opportunities but then you're not actually looking at are these opportunities valid are they within your own rules does it go through thorough analysis yeah that, that's true and you know that expectation making 50 percent a month just to give people perspective absolutely ludicrous if you're a professional fund and you make i don't know like 20 percent in a year 
you're legendary. Like, that's really good, you know? So if you're a retail trader expecting to make 15% a month, I'm sorry, mate. You're going to get what's like, as termed in the last episode, it's like a gambling approach. You can get it, right? Don't get me wrong. For the first couple months, then you have nothing. You're zero. You're bust. Everything that you've just gained, you've lost. The same way, so if you went casino, you played blackjack, you won 10 times your money, and now you think that you can, you've can, you mastered the game of blackjack, which is good for the casino because now you'll come back and invest even more into that and just lose it all the next day. It's because you're expecting exceptional returns for something you can't. It's like overforcing a balloon. Do you know what I mean? The mm. balloon has a maximum capacity, right? And if you just keep pumping air into it, trying to force more than the balloon's capacity within that month, it's just going to pop. And that's what happens to your account, really. <laughs> it pops because you're trying to get more percentage out of what's there in the market. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If that 15% return existed a month, the hedge funds would give that return because that's their objective at the end of the day. That's their whole the bonuses, right? <laughs> yeah, their whole objective is to make money. So if those returns exist on a month, they would do it. Consistently, this is, by the way. That's why they don't do it, because they know for a fact it can't be done consistently, because the market doesn't provide those kind of returns. The market dictates the returns it gives, not you. You can't go to the market and be like, hey, I want to make 15% a month. What kind of ludicrousness <laughs> is that? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the market dictates the return you make, and it's that. that's it. There's for no sure. two ways about, around it. I think once as a retail trader once you understand that concept of you it's actually a ridiculous goal it's delusional to expect those returns once you the, yeah. the quicker you understand that the happier you're going to you're going to be when you're trading and the better decisions you're going to make when you're trading because you're going to make the thorough analysis that's required to have that long short portfolio 20 to 30 percent a year annual growth yeah that's it and i think that's like we could put it down to four key outcomes here Expectations and returns. All professional traders aim to get rich slowly over time. They know that their approach must include the measures, ensuring that they, if anything goes wrong, they're still in the game. Mm. These guys compound returns. So the, all the professionals, they aim for consistent risk-adjusted returns that are compounded over many years in order to generate and grow wealth and creation of wealth. You know, This means they're Old, like their, their own wealth will grow and because they're steady players with a solid chart record outside it, other investors will invest in them and then the third outcome is they don't expect income from trading they know there's no such thing as that um the trading isn't an income strategy a business or getting a job or trading in fixed income assets or stocks or bonds is an income strategy a trading account is an asset in itself that sits on your balance sheet as a human being and you must seek to grow its value. Do you know what I mean? So you, it's an asset, basically. And, you know, your income must come from other sources, from exogenous factors to the trading account, um, which pays for your living costs and whatnot. So any professional, you ask them, they never take money out of their trading account or balance. They just seek to grow it, you know. For sure. Um, and it's typical for a retail trader to believe it's for income, which we covered last episode, but it's mm -hmm. not. I mean, just the average person already makes the mistake of taking money out of savings accounts that they're not meant to take money out. So taking money out of trading accounts is a similar concept where you should never be taking money out, right? Yeah, yeah, you, you shouldn't. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's 
just one of those things that needs to be learned and embedded into your skull. If you're a retail trader, don't okay. do it. Rookie definitely. mistake. Don't think you can ever do it. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So do you, do you even think it's possible to be consistently profitable as a retail trader? Um, yes. So as a retail trader, um, the most important thing you can do is just look at how the industry works. You know, you need to find the people who do well and then evaluate them or evaluate them and then emulate them. It's pretty straightforward, right? You don't go into an industry um, and look at the people who are doing shit, which are other retail traders. You go into an industry, you look at what the best are doing and you just do what they do, you know? Same way when you're trying to learn how to play football when you're younger, you look at the best football players and you try to imitate what they're doing. Eventually you get better at football. Same concept. So the next question is, how do I know who's successful? How do I even know to emulate, right? So there's a thing that exists. It's called the Form 10K. Now, this is an annual report um, in the US uh, for a public company. And it's released by the Securities and Exchange Commission by law. And it gives you all the details of a company. So who should we look at in terms of trading to see, you know, what our expectations be from trading? So probably the best place to look is Goldman Sachs, right? It's an investment bank. And this investment bank has a prop side of it, which has that prop side. It's whole purpose is the same as a hedge fund it's to generate money but instead of the money being from their own investors it's generated from the public domain you know what i mean so if you go into google type in goldman sachs 10k and the year within the first two links it'll come up with a pdf 500 page pdf now if you scroll down that pdf to pages like 95 to 105 you'll always find a sort of bar chart there right now what this bar chart shows it's like how much money that Goldman Sachs makes or loses within a particular day and how many um, days they're up and down. So to give you an example, in 2018, right, Goldman Sachs, they make money on around 220 days out of the year. And this is purely from trading, by the way. Nothing to do with their marketing side of the business. Then 31 days, they're actually losing money. So it's pretty skewed towards a favor of making money, right? 220 winning. 31 losing mm -hmm. and it gets even better their typical winning day may it makes around 25 to 50 million while their typical losing it's zero to 25 million so what you can take from that is when they win they win twice as much when they lose uh 220 days out of the year so crazy yeah do, do you think that they go home flat on a day obviously not so what retail traders do right what i mean by flat is they have no positions open so they close um within the day like a retail trader will open a few positions here or there and then close them before he goes to sleep these guys take on billions of dollars of overnight risk you know huge overnight risk and they're managing these portfolios these billion dollar portfolios over long periods of time there's a huge contrast there it, it can't be ignored do you know what i mean and this 2018 um form 10k for goldman sachs is it a fluke no it's not so you could literally go back to the year of 1999 all the way up until now. It's the exact same story. You know, when these guys listed as a public company, like in the 90s, right, um, and listed these numbers, you know, this is a weird, I'll call it weird, but kind of proves everything that we're saying this whole time. Their success rate, you know, is 90%, you know, 220 out of the year. 
And what are the percentage of retail traders that lose? The nineteen ninety ninety rule. That's not a coincidence. Yeah, that's not a coincidence. You know what I mean? You know, one is a day trader, lose ninety percent of the time. The other guy is a portfolio manager, and he wins ninety percent of the time. The proof is on that form. They can't lie. It's a legal document released by the SEC. Do you know what I mean? So it's not hard to work out once you know what what to look for on how to trade the forex market. Everything you do. Um, in your retail trading account must be in the same way as a hedge fund manager if you want to stand any sort of chance of making money you know no shortcuts whatsoever and i think it's a good time now to tell the audience right um the company that me and matty work for logic effects it's our campaign to basically educate the industry on how it works so that you know you don't make the stupid mistakes that i made when i was younger when i was 15 or 16 making the mistakes of ignoring this simple idea of looking at the best and trying to copy them which i picked up when i was 17 and then ever since it's paid its dividends towards me right um so then the next stage obviously once you understand the industry and how it works is what on earth do they actually do to come up with the decisions right mate so how do these professionals decide what do they trade how do they decide what's in their portfolio um which we'll come on to later um in another podcast and it's essentially what the logic effects academy is going to be all about is showing people firstly the infrastructure and a lot more in depth because there's only so much we can really record in a half an hour podcast but um this course will go right into the details of how everything works and then take you for your full journey on how you should make your portfolio as a retail trader to imitate the hedge fund managers and an important take here is you have to be woke you know, sounds kind of funny. It's probably like from the 2017, so, you know, this industry particularly, you need to open your eyes and see everything in front of you and be skeptical and be prodding your fingers into why is this person telling me this? What's the, you know, keep your eyes open. And I hope from everything that you've heard in the first podcast and this, that it's woken you up and you're like, right, you know, there's a lot more to this than I initially thought and get your act together and start to find a way of emulating the professionals and don't fall in the trap of copying my FX book poses with thousand percent of returns or the retail broken narrative, you know, those sort of things. Or YouTubers or Instagrammers, any of that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Is there anything that you'd like to add there, Matty? Now, I think that's a really good conclusion on like how retail traders can be consistently profitable and who to look for. Yeah. Uh, w- uh, one good thing to highlight, I think, is that retail traders think that winning percentages and winning days mean they're closing a position on that day or that month. Mm, Where in fact, yeah. in hedge funds, their winning days and their winning months are their open positions over long periods of time, right? Yeah. Exactly. So the way this 10K is calculating this form, right, it's not a materialized profit. It's showing how much up or down the the portfolio is. And then obviously at some point they close their positions, right? But it's just showing how many days they are profitable, how much they are up mm. from their starting. So really important to note, you know, and there's a few key things anybody listening today needs to take away, you know, and the seven key points that I just want to get across before we end this 
if you're going to use your own money to trade, don't be on any professional's income, right? Can't drill this any harder. All professionals have a basic salary. You should have one too, and you should maintain this basic salary. When you initially start trading, if you're new, begin as a hobby. When you get good at some point in the future, it may become a viable profession and you look to get employed in a hedge fund or an investment bank, that's something completely separate. So as it stands, as you're not a professional trader, keep your basic salary, protect your downside wealth and have that income. So don't take income from your trading account. Don't take on more risk when you're losing, especially, and view that trading account as an asset within itself with the aim to increase that asset's value in your lifetime up until retirement or even the day you die. Now that asset is linked to your balance sheet. Its value is completely dependent on your performance as a trader. So if you're good, it's going to increase in value and you have the option to put more money in into this account. If you're bad, don't reinvest into yourself or that strategy. Try to get better. And when you get better, you have the option to invest more money. And those seven points there are the key takeaways for today, I think, May. What do you think? I think that's a great conclusion to this week's episode. And uh, yeah, I think that concludes it, to be honest. Oh, great stuff. That's it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, Thank you guys. for listening. Thank Do you. make sure to tune in next week to learn some more market insights. And if you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube, please subscribe. Click that button. We're also on Spotify now. So those of you that listen on mobiles, you can follow us on there. And make sure to follow our Instagram and Facebook pages. See you later, guys. Peace.